Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are currently in our series discussing all the questions you wish you had answered about heaven. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks so much for checking out our sermon here at Hope. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. The book of Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes a verse of scripture and he gives a challenge to the church. Here's what he said. He said, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things above. That's not a suggestion that Paul was making. If you study the original language, you understand that that's an imperative. It wasn't an option that Paul was laying on the table. Paul was speaking as an apostle with the authority of God, and he was giving a command to his church. And the church, he was saying, was to set our minds. It means to direct our attention, our thoughts, to the things that are above. That that command speaks to a depth of intentionality. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, are to be very intentional about making sure that we set our minds, that we place our thoughts, that we direct our attention on the things that are above. And he then he gives the contrast. He says, not on the things that are on the earth. And let's just be honest. The things that are on this earth are fighting for our attention. The things that are on this earth are doing everything they can to demand our attention. Doesn't matter if you're talking politics or violence or threat of war or materialism or greed or pride, whatever it is. All of the things that are on this earth are fighting for our attention. And so Paul, speaking to the church, gives a challenge and says, hey, you must rise above that. You must set your mind on things above. It's as if he's reminding us this world is not your home. So for five weekends as a fellowship, that's what we've been trying to do. We're in the midst of a complex world. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff going on around us, and I don't know if it's that there's more happening now than has ever happened before or because of the connectivity through social media that we're just more aware of what's happening now than we've ever been before. But regardless of why it is what it is, there is a sense that the complexity, the confusion, all that's going on around us is at an all-time level of high intensity. And so as a fellowship, we set aside five weekends to do exactly what Paul said. In the midst of what's going on around us, we wanted to set our minds on things above. And so for five weekends, we've been looking at the subject of heaven. We've been answering questions like, what is heaven? Who's going to be in heaven? 
We've answered questions like, what's heaven going to be like? And we talked about some things that are not going to be in heaven. It's interesting. The Bible gives us a lot of information about what's not going to be there. When you read Revelation 21, about half the statements are, and there's none of this, and there's none of this, and there's none of this, and there's none of this. But then we spend another entire weekend talking about all the things that will be there, all the wonderful things that the Bible reveals to us that are going to be in heaven. Then we talked last weekend answering a couple of questions. When are we going to go to heaven? When does that happen? And then we answered the question, what are we going to do when we get there? I think that's a big question a lot of us struggle with. You know, we think of heaven as some otherworldly experience. And I think last weekend we dug into some biblical depth about what we're going to do when we get there. And I've gotten emails from some of you, texts from some of you. Some of you stopped me in the lobby and you're more excited about going to heaven than you've ever been before. I mean, that's just some excitement about when that's, I think that's why Paul told us this. Listen, if we get drug into everything that's going on around us and we only live looking at what's happening on this earth, we can forget this world's not our home. But when we realize we're going somewhere else, this is just temporary. We're passing through. It changes the way we see what's going on around us. But maybe you're here today and you're thinking, Pastor, all this talk about heaven is great. But what about today? I'm dealing with some stuff today. This stuff around us is still happening. I I have decisions that I need to make today. I have challenges in my life today. So what about today? So here's the last question we want to deal with in this series. How does what I know about heaven impact my life today? I want to take what we've been unpacking for the last four weekends and try as best we can to give you practical handles for how you can take this truth about heaven and bring application from it into your life today. Now, this has been a challenging week of study for me as I've been walking through this message because if you're a regular attender at Hope, you know typically the way we preach at Hope is we take a book of the Bible, we start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we just preach straight through that book of the Bible until we get to the last chapter, last verse. Sometimes that takes us a few months. Sometimes, like it did with the Gospel of John when we started our church, it takes us five years to get through a book of the Bible. But we just start in a book of the Bible, and we go straight through that book of the Bible until we're done. This series, there are some occasions where we've dug into one text of Scripture, but what we've been trying to do with this series is take a more topical approach where we're trying to say, okay, what does the Bible say in general about this subject and bring some information? Now, here's the challenge to that when you're studying. When you've got a verse in a passage and you just got to dig in, you know by Sunday, I've got to excavate that verse and be able to dig it out so that people can see what's in there. With this kind of study, it's you start with the whole book. And you're trying to zero in on the very important principles that you can share. So I want to try to do that this morning by giving you five ways that the reality of heaven impacts my life today. And I said what I just said to say this. There's no way we can exhaust this subject in one sermon on one day. 
We could literally spend weeks talking about the reality of heaven. But what I'm going to try to do is look at five different passages of Scripture where different New Testament authors talk about the reality of heaven and then bring application into how that changes my life today. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. So here's number one. The reality of heaven gives us hope in times of trouble. The reality of heaven gives us hope in times of trouble. Now, here's the passage of Scripture I want to read. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Look what Peter writes and says. He says, After you have suffered for a little while. That's already good. You don't know it yet, but it's already good. The God of all grace who called you to what? His eternal glory. What's he talking about? The reality of heaven. This world's not all there is. There's more to come. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So let me say a couple of things about this passage. So so if you hadn't picked up on it yet, what I'm really going to do today is I'm going to preach five mini sermons, all right? So hang on. Some of you have a look of panic in your eye because you're thinking, man, it usually takes him a while to preach one. We're going to get there, all right? A couple of things about this verse. Number one, we all face times of trouble in this life. Can I get an amen there? We all face time. Anybody identify with that today? We all face times of trouble. He says, after you have suffered, the word suffer is a word that means to be affected by something, to undergo a difficult experience. And notice what he said. He didn't say, if you suffer. This would be a whole different verse if the first word was if. Because then you could hope maybe I'm on the not suffering side of things. If you suffer, oh, suffer, oh man, I hope I don't have to suffer. No, but that's not what he said. After you have, I heard somebody say one time, you're either in trouble, you're coming out of trouble, or you are headed into trouble. So I don't know where you are this morning, but I hope that brought some enlightenment to where you're going, all right? If you're thinking, man, I'm not in trouble at all. Well, hang on. We all suffer times of trouble. And listen, I'm making this point because there's a dangerous, dangerous teaching in Christianity today. And here's what it says. It says that if you'll just have enough faith, you will not experience difficulty and you will not experience trouble. I even heard a preacher this week. Somebody, I saw a link of a guy on social media that I know, and so I, he was posting a link from his sermon, and so I went and listened to a link of his sermon, and in his sermon, he said this. I mean, he really said this. He said that you and I can change our life situation and circumstance simply by the words that we use. If we'll just speak positively 
then positive things will come out in our life. And if we speak negatively, we're prophesying against our own condition and that will come about in our lives as a fulfillment of negative prophecy because they'll even, he even said, they, they say things like this. If you say, you know, I think I'm getting sick. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> don't speak that negative word over your life. Can I just tell you what that is? That is foolishness. You think Jesus and the disciples just didn't know that? And that's why they had so much trouble? If Jesus just hadn't said, you know, I'm going to be crucified. If he just hadn't spoken that word. If the disciples just hadn't been so negative, they wouldn't have all been persecuted and put to death for their faith in Jesus. They'd have just been more, how, that's garbage. Gee, the Bible says not if, but after you have suffered. We are peddling a false gospel in our culture that says the gospel exists to bring you and I prosperity, health and wealth and blessing. That is not the gospel of the New Testament. The gospel of the New Testament teaches a gospel that you and I can have abundance, but we've confused abundance for Western materialism, and that is not the truth of the gospel. It's a prostitution of the gospel. That lines the pockets of those who preach it. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Peter said, after you, listen, we will all face trouble. Peter wrote in another place in this same letter, chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to what he said. Beloved, do not be, what? Say this word. Don't be surprised at what? The fiery ordeal. That word surprised. And this word strange, or the, the Greek word that comes from the same word we get the word foreigner from. He said, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you as though some strange thing. Don't, don't see trouble and difficulty and challenge in your life and think, why is this happening to me? I'm a Christian. <laughs> I thought when I got saved, it meant I didn't have to go through any of that anymore. We will face trouble. Listen, you're going to face trouble in your health. You're going to face trouble in your job. You're going to face trouble in your finances. You're going to face trouble in your relationships. Why? Because sin entered the world. And we live under the curse of a fallen world that is impacted by the reality of sin. And as long as we live on this earth in this life, we will face trouble. But here's how the reality of heaven changes all of that today. After you have suffered for a little while. A little while. You see what happens when we don't set our mind on things above. We lose perspective. We begin to think this is the big deal. This isn't the big deal. This is preparation for the big deal. Revelation 21. 
Bible says he will wipe away every tear from our eye in heaven. Tony Evans says that that's all of the things that make life difficult will be wiped away in heaven. Right now we're in a season where we're going to experience trouble. But hear me. It's a little while. And that phrase little while in the Greek language is a phrase that when it refers to time means short. It's short. It's just brief. In my small group that I'm in with some other men, we met this week and one of the guys in our small group for the last few years has been going through a difficult trial at his work to the point where there were times when you know, he even shared in the group, he thought about giving that up and doing something else because it's been a real season of testing in his job. And in the last month, God has just intervened and brought incredible relief and blessing and favor in this job. And here's what he said in our small group this week. And it profoundly impacted my life. He said, you know what I realized? It was just a season. Now, it was a season that lasted a few years. In the season, it felt like eternity. But on the other side, looking back, it's just a season. The reality is, in light of eternity, all of life is just a season. I mean, imagine we had a line up here that didn't end. It went that way as far as you could imagine, and it went that way as far as you could imagine. Never ended. And let's just say that line represents eternity. And let's say right here on that line, we had a dot. Now get this in your mind. This line runs all the way. Here's a dot. You know what the dot is? I don't know what you think it is. You think it's your life. No. The dot is all of human history. Eternity, all of human history, let's drop a pin in that. That's your life. In light of eternity, all of life is just a season. And that's why Peter wrote and said, after you have suffered for a little while, God himself. Will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Paul wrote a little bit more about this in Romans 8.18. Look at what Paul said. Put this on the screen. Romans 8.18. Paul said, for I consider. Paul was, Paul was thinking about heaven. He's doing what he told us to do. Set your mind on things. But he's considering. He, it's a word that means to think about. He's thinking about heaven. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not. Say it out loud. Worthy to be what? Get this. He didn't say, you know, as I think about it, I think heaven's going to be a little better than the sufferings here. He didn't even say, I think heaven's going to be a lot better than the sufferings here. He said, you can't even compare it. It's like trying to compare an apple to a house. There's no comparison. Paul said, in light of thinking about eternity... The stuff that I go through in this life, it doesn't even compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
So that's, that's the first thing. Heaven, the reality of heaven gives us hope in times of trouble. Let me give you the second thing. The reality of heaven gives us strength in times of temptation. The reality of heaven gives us strength in times of temptation. Anybody in the room ever get tempted? Yeah, some of you tempted right now to lie, right? Yeah. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Let's go back to it. Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. But then he keeps on writing. Listen to what he said. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What's he doing? He's talking about eternity. Set your mind on things above. You've already died with Christ. Your life's hidden with him. When he's revealed, you're going to be with him. So look what he says. Therefore... Based on eternity, based on heaven, based on the reality. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You see the application? He's talking about heaven. He's challenging us to set our mind on things above. And he says, do that so that... You can deal with temptation in this life. Let me tell you a couple of things about this. First of all, heaven reminds me who I am. Listen to that again. Heaven reminds me who I am. Did you hear what he said? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Interesting that he didn't say, you will die and your life will be hidden with Christ in God. You and I might think it ought to be worded that way. <laughs> I will die and then my life will be hidden with Christ in God. But that's not what he said. He said, for you have died, past tense, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. What's the point? My position in Christ is already done. It means this. I'm so saved and my eternity in heaven is so secure that God, this is unbelievable, 2,000 years before I was even born, wrote about it as if it was already done. You can't get any more secure than that. You know, one of the problems we have is we believe what the enemy tells us about who we are. You're just a sinner. You're weak. You can't beat that. That sin owns you. You're just a recovering addict. Your identity is this, or your identity is this, or your identity is this. No, when I start thinking about heaven, guess what I realize? I've already died, 
And my life is already hidden with Christ in God. It's already done. You see, the power of the gospel is that when Jesus died on the cross in his place, listen, when Jesus died, I died with him. He took all of my sin, all of my guilt, all of my unworthiness, all of my condemnation. He took all of it. And on the cross, when Jesus died, I died with him. And when Jesus rose again, I rose again with him so that in Christ I've already died and I've already been raised with him. And Ephesians says I'm now already seated with him at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. I'm so saved. It's pitiful. It's already done. And when I realize that that's who I am, now here's what's going to happen. My flesh is going to lie to me And my flesh is going to try to tempt me to sin. Now, when I believe the lie of my flesh and I sin, guess what I find out real quickly? I'm now dead to that. You know who the most miserable people are on planet Earth? Not people that don't know Jesus. I know that's what you're thinking. That's not the most miserable people on planet Earth. The most miserable people on planet Earth are not people who don't know Jesus. They don't know what they don't know. That's going to get you later. (laughs) They don't know what they don't know. You know who the most miserable people are? People who know Jesus, who've been set free from the power and the penalty of sin, and yet are believing the lies of the flesh and trying to live in the flesh. And what they find is the flesh is lying. Every time I yield to the flesh, it brings discouragement and despondency and depression and lack of contentment and lack of satisfaction and lack of peace. We keep believing that lie. Why is that? Because I'm already dead to that. I wrote down this reality this week. I want you to see this. When we realize by faith that we are dead to sin, we experience the freedom of knowing we can find no life in its temptation. When you and I set our mind on things above and we realize the reality of who we are in Christ, meaning I'm already dead to sin. And by faith, that's the key. I got to believe that by faith. The problem is often I believe the lie of the flesh. But when I believe that by faith, guess what I have? I have freedom in knowing that I can't be tempted by that which I can find no life in. It's a lie. Heaven reminds me who I am. But here's the second part of this. Heaven reminds me who he is in me. Did you hear what Paul said? Paul said, set your mind on things above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life. The Christian life is not you and me living for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living his life in and through me. Where do I get reminded about that? When I think about heaven. I'm reminded of who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me. This is just temporary here. And then Paul Lands the plane with that therefore. Therefore, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. The word consider, it's an interesting Greek word. It literally means to put to death. Here's the picture. When you and I, because of heaven, realize in Christ, I'm already dead. 
I'm dead to sin. I've been made alive in Christ. I'm already seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm so saved, it's done. God speaks of it in the past tense. When we realize that by faith, here's what we do daily, moment by moment. We consider, we put to death. What does he say? We put to death the members of our earthly body. What is that? It's the same thing he wrote in Romans chapter 12, living sacrifices. We lay the old man on the altar daily. God, by faith, I'm already dead to sin. I'm alive to you. So, Lord, today, by faith, I'm going to lay that on the altar. God, I nail it to the cross today. He called it a living sacrifice. It's somewhat of an oxymoron. The sacrifice means something that's dead. But he called it a living sacrifice. Why? Because as long as we're on this earth, our flesh has a natural tendency to crawl off the altar. So moment by moment, day by day, we have to continue to consider, to put to death. Why? Because it's already who I am. What is that? It's the reality of heaven. Let me give you the third one. See, we're two sermons in already. Here's the third one. The reality of heaven gives us perspective in terms of stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is really just managing all that God has blessed us with. That's what stewardship is. It's managing all that God's blessed us with. Now, I want to give you three phrases to kind of summarize all that the Bible teaches about stewardship. Here's the first phrase. It all belongs to Him. Say that out loud. It all belongs to Him. The Bible says both in the Old and New Testament, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It means everything on planet earth, everything contained within planet earth, it all belongs to Him. Meaning this, according to the Bible, everything you and I ultimately have belongs to the Lord. We don't have time to debate that, talk about it. We could, but we don't have time. Just the Bible teaches everything you and I have belongs to him. It all belongs to him. Say that again. It all belongs to him. Here's the second statement. He's entrusted some to me. Say that out loud. He's entrusted some to me. So it all belongs to him, but of all that belongs to him, he's put some of it in your hands and my hands. Now, what is this some of it? It's, it's time. It's, it's gifts and talents and abilities. It's money and resources and possessions. Some people, when they think about stewardship, they only think about money, but it's a stewardship of all that God has blessed me with, all the abilities, all the talents, all the gifts, all the treasures, all the possessions, all the people in my life, all of those things. God, it all belongs to him, but he's entrusted some to me. If you got that, say amen. Here's the third statement. What he's entrusted to me, I am to use for him. Say that with me. What he has entrusted to me, I am to use for him. So that's biblical stewardship. It all belongs to him. He's entrusted some to me. What he's entrusted to me, I am to use for him. I'm managing that which belongs to him as his steward for his glory. If you got that, say amen. Amen. What does this have to do with heaven? As I've been studying this material on heaven, God convinced me of a life-changing reality that I want to put on screen. The way I steward what he's entrusted to me impacts my quality of life in heaven.
Let that sink in for a second. I want you to read it with me. The way I steward what he's entrusted to me impacts my quality of life in heaven. You all right? This is taught in the New Testament. First of all, I want you to read what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 6, listen to what Jesus said. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, some people hear that and think, Jesus is here speaking against saving and investing. You should never do that. It's a bad idea. But you got to read the rest of it. Jesus is not against saving and investing. He's just against bad investments. Look at the rest of it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth, neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what that teaches us? You ever heard anybody say, well, you can't take it with you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but Jesus said you can send it on ahead. You and I can steward what he's entrusted to us in such a way that it impacts our quality of life in heaven. Listen to what Randy Alcorn said in his book. He said, what will last for eternity? Not your car, house, degrees, trophies, or business. What will last for eternity is every service to the needy, every dollar given to feed the hungry, every cup of cold water given to the thirsty, every investment in missions, every effort invested in evangelism, the Bible says we'll reap in eternity what we've planted in this life. We're all thinking about retirement. (laughs) We're just thinking about the wrong one. We're thinking about the retirement that's in this circle. Not the one that's on this line. When you and I realize that the way I'm stewarding what God's entrusted to me, my time, talent, and treasure, is storing up treasure in eternity, that'll change the way I make decisions today. That'll change the way I make purchases today. That'll change the decision I make with what I'm going to do with my time today. Because what I'm doing is I'm storing up treasure in heaven. Now, just in case you think I'm reading too much into that statement by Jesus, Paul taught the exact same thing. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what Paul said. Instruct those who are, say it out loud, rich. Now, I know right there some of us think, well, it's not me. But listen, you got to understand the global median per capita household income is $2,920 per year. $2,920 per year. Everybody in America at the bottom end makes almost 10 times that. When he says rich, he's talking to all of us. 
Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, which is a powerful principle. Instruct them to do good, to be, <coughs> excuse me, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves. That word storing up is literally the same Greek phrase. It means to lay up treasure. Storing up for themselves, laying up treasure for a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Chip Ingram said it this way. I love this. Heaven will be wonderful for everyone, but it will not be equal. What you do in this life will have a direct impact on the quality of life in heaven. You ever heard anybody say, well, he's just so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good? Well, that's garbage. Because when you really begin to understand the reality of heaven and eternity, it'll change the way you and I make decisions today with everything God's entrusted to us. Because what I'm doing now is I'm stewarding that which he's given to me in such a way to be used for his glory. And he says in his word, as I do that, I am storing up treasure. I am laying up a foundation for the future in eternity. Everybody okay? Let me give you the fourth one. The reality of heaven gives us unity as the family of God. I'm not going to spend much time here, but I want you to see these verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Peter writes and he says, The end of all things is near. What's he talking about? Eternity. This world is not all there is. He's reminding us of things above. The end of all things is near. The circle on the line, the circle's almost over. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Then I want you to look at the next three exhortations. He just said the end of all things is near. Time on this earth is short. Heaven is a reality. Then look what he says. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here's what he's saying. The reality of heaven changes the way we relate to one another. It establishes my relationship with God's family as the priority in my life. And that should be evidenced in how I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, how I show hospitality to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and how I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. The reality of heaven changes the way we relate as the family of God. Here's the fifth thing, final thing, and I'm done. The reality of heaven gives us an urgency in sharing Jesus with others. Hebrews 9.27 says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, And after this comes judgment. What's he talking about? This life's not all there is. Here's what he's really saying. Every person who lives on earth will spend eternity somewhere.
Inasmuch it is appointed to men, human beings. It's the word for people. To die once. And then it's over? No. And then comes the judgment. As I've been preaching this series, obviously people have emailed, texted, stopped me and asked questions. You know, well, you didn't answer this question. What about this question? Listen, if you got more questions, I promise you, you get Randy Alcorn's book. He addresses them all. He addresses questions you don't even have. I'm telling you. But the single question that I've gotten more than any others is we've talked about this. Some of you are new Christians. Some of you are the first Christians in your family. And the reality has begun to set in for many of you that you know people, friends, family members who've already died. And you're struggling with the reality of where are they? They didn't know As far as I know, they didn't know this gospel. They didn't know about Jesus. Let me read you what Jesus, what John wrote about Jesus in 1 John chapter 5. John said, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. Here's what that means. Only those who believe in Jesus in this life will spend eternity in heaven. Listen, I'm like a lot of you. I have friends, I have family members looking back. And all I can do today is hope that somehow before they died, they came to know Jesus. Listen, I don't know every detail of their life. I don't know who talked to them right before they died. I don't know what conversations they had. I don't know what the Spirit of God may have revealed to them in the moments before they died. There's a lot I don't know. So I can today only look back and hope that those people that I knew and cared about somehow, some way, discovered the truth of the gospel. But here's the other motivation I can have. Looking forward, I can make sure I'm never at another funeral of somebody that I know, love, and care about without knowing that they knew what it meant to come to know Jesus and had every opportunity to trust Him in this life. Let me tell you a personal story because I know some of you are wrestling with this. I've told you many times that my my, my parents were first-generation Christians. My grandparents on both sides were not Christians. I was 20 years old when my first grandfather died. My wife and I-to-be, we were engaged. We were going to their house to have dinner that night so that she could meet my grandfather. We called him Big Daddy. Big Daddy was a career military man, drill sergeant. Tough man. I loved him. That afternoon, before we could get to their home that evening, he had a tragic heart attack, his seventh heart attack, and he died. I'd never had a conversation with my granddad about Jesus. It struck me deeply. My grandmother let me go in his room because he and I were the closest and take anything I wanted out of his room. And I was rummaging through his 
nightstand and I found this little New Testament somebody had given him. And in this little New Testament, there's only one verse in the whole New Testament that was circled. Had a little mark on the outside where it highlighted that verse. And it's Romans 10, 13. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that doesn't guarantee that my big daddy's in heaven. But it gave me at least the peace looking back of knowing that he knew. About four years later, my other grandfather was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I called my brother and I said, we got to go talk to Papa. I drove 300 miles, picked up my brother. We drove to my grandfather's house. He was diagnosed with it. It started with a little spot on his face. It became a tumor that distorted his whole face. By the time we got there, he looked like the beast in Beauty and the Beast. You couldn't recognize him. His whole face was twisted and distorted. I walked in and I said, Papa, I need you to forgive me. He said, what for, Vance? He said, you know I love you. I said, Papa, we've never talked about the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. And if you'd give me a few minutes, I'd sure love to tell you the story of how Jesus changed my life. And he looked at me. His mouth was all twisted to the side. He could barely hold out of his mouth. Tears began to roll down his face. Here's what he said. He said, Vance, I've been praying that somebody would come and tell me how I could go to heaven when I die. And my brother and I got the joy of leading my grandfather in that bed to give his life to Jesus. Two weeks later, he died. For those last two weeks, he had people come in every day and read the scriptures and sing hymns. And I got to be a part of preaching his funeral with my dad and tell the story of how he'd given his life to Christ. So I'm, I'm telling you those two stories because I want you to know I got some of both of these relationships in my life. I got some where I look back and I don't know. But by God's grace, by God's grace, I'm going to be motivated that I never stand at the deathbed of somebody else that I know. And I didn't give them an opportunity to know Jesus. You cannot change the past. But you can make sure that you have those conversations in the future. Mark Cahill said this, and I'll close with this quote. He said, if you want to see your friends in heaven, invite them. Just invite them. Who do you need to invite? Let's pray. Father, would you take this truth about heaven and change our lives today? As you sit there before the Lord this morning to finish this series, I want to ask a few questions to you. The first question is, are, are you going to heaven? Are you certain that you're going there? Listen, you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised this afternoon. My granddad thought he was going to have dinner with me that night. But it didn't happen. Are you certain that you're going to heaven? 
If you're not certain that you're going to heaven in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song. And when we stand and sing, I want to invite you to slip out of your seat. You come right to one of these pastors at the front and you say, I need Jesus. And we're going to have somebody sit down with you, open a Bible and show you how you can know that you can know that if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. All you got to do is come. Just come. That's it. Just come. For others of you today, what current priorities and passions in your life need to change in light of heaven? What about the way you're stewarding what God has given you needs to change in light of heaven? Let the Holy Spirit of God speak to you. And then lastly, are there people you care about who don't know about heaven or how to get there? How is God wanting to use you to tell them? You can't save them, but you can sure tell them how they can be saved. God put you in their life to tell them. God wants to use you to share the glorious gospel. The saving work, oh, that's up to him. That's God's business. He's sovereign. But God has chosen in his sovereignty to use us as his people to tell the message, the story of Jesus. These altars are going to be open. Maybe God's burdened you about something in your life or a person. You want to just come pray in one of these altars. Maybe... Today, you're walking through one of those periods of trouble. You want to pray with a pastor. We're going to be here while we're singing this song. You can come. One of these pastors, we'd be honored to pray with you today. You respond as God speaks. But today, listen, if you don't know that you're going to heaven when you die, don't you wait on anybody else. As soon as we stand, you come. Jesus, thank you today for the gospel. Thank you for the truth of your word. Use it for your glory. We bless you, God. Holy Spirit, would you move in this moment? It's in the name of Jesus we pray.